Welcome to the One Hope Church podcast, where we believe Jesus is our one hope for a better life and a better world. We hope this message encourages you. When we're young, there's a question that we get asked quite often. You know what that question is? What do you want to do when you get older? Do you remember being asked that question when you're young? What do you want to do when you get older? And when, when you ask little kids this, you get a lot of the same answers, right? I want to be a fireman. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a school teacher. I want to be a nurse. I want to be a professional athlete. I want to be a police officer. I want to be these things because when kids are young, they have a picture in their head of this looks like fun. This is what I want to do. Now as you get older, in our teenage years, Sometimes this question and this thought gets a lot easier because you get clarity. And other times it gets a lot harder. You're just not sure what you're supposed to do. But this is an important question we have to ask ourselves in life. Because the answer to this question, this decision that we make, sets a pace for many things. It provides for your life. It provides maybe for not only you, but if you have a family. It maybe, hopefully, makes an impact in a positive way to the community you live in. It's important to decide or find your place and then do a really great job in it. But I'm going to make an argument this morning. My argument is pretty simple. I think that what we do should always be secondary to who we are as a person. What we do should always be secondary to who we are as people because we can do a lot of things in life. We can do a lot of things with our lives, but what if the question of what do you want to do is the wrong question? What if we start people out in life with the wrong angle and the wrong thought, starting when they were really young? What if we started out with young kids with the question that says, what kind of person do you want to be as you grow up? What if instead of asking teenagers, what do you want to do? What are you going to do after you graduate? What if the question was, what person are you trying to become? As you get older what about for us as adults what if we're asking ourselves who am I trying to become today who am I going to become as I grow older and do what I'm supposed to do in life who am I becoming today what would change about our life if we change the question that we're asking the past six weeks, this is kind of what we've been talking about in See, Feel, Act, hasn't it? And my hope and prayer is that there's a ripple effect from this conversation into every aspect of our lives. That as we are living our life, my prayer is that we'll ask ourselves, who am I becoming today? My prayer, for real is that we ask ourselves, who am I becoming today? 
Is there more to me than just what I produce at work or at home? Who am I becoming today? Because you know my opinion on this, that I believe the best way to live is to start everything by saying, I'm going to wake up today. I'm going to make the decision, I'm going to wake up today, and I'm going to say, how can I become a little bit more like Jesus through how I live today? Because wherever that life leads me is going to be the best life for me. Because I believe if this is our ambition, we will actually produce even more in every aspect of our life. When this is our ambition, I believe that we won't waste as much time, energy, money on useless things. I believe when this is our ambition, we will look back at the end of our life and say, I have less regrets in how I walk through life when this is our ambition. That I believe living this way is not only honoring to God, but it's the best for me that this is how God has wired me to live. So once again, that's what we've been talking about for the last six weeks. But here we are at the last week of this series. And being that it's the last week of our series, I want to kind of rewind. I want to make sure we kind of put a bow on this. We put the cherry on the top today that remind us where we've been. That this series is based on a conversation that Jesus has with an expert in the law. When the expert in the law comes to him and he says, what is the most important law to live by in life? What's the most important rules for life? What is the best way to live in life? And there's 600 and some of these laws, and they were trying to kind of put him in the corner. And he says, listen, everything in life can be summed up in two things. You love God, and you love your neighbor as yourself. You want the question for life answered for you. What is the most important thing? How do I make sure that I'm living the life I'm supposed to live? Jesus says, I'm going to simplify it for you. You love God, and you love your neighbor as yourself. And so you know, if you're here the first week, we talked about that first part of it, loving God. How do I love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength? How do I accomplish this? And for this to happen... Um, my interpretation or what I've walked us through, the picture I wanted to give us was simply this. We need to see the truth about God. In life, if you do not see the truth about who God is, all of his attributes, you don't see the truth about God that he was there in the beginning before anything, and he will be there in the end when everything else is gone. When you don't see the forgiveness and the love and the mercy and the grace, but the power of God, you will be off in life. When our vision of God is off, our vi- everything else in life will be off as well. We need to see the truth about God, but when we see that, when our vision of God changes, something moves in us and we will feel a passion for God. Our heart will be engaged. And we needed to talk about this because many people are intellectually engaged with God, but our heart is not engaged. Is it a knowledge in our head, but our heart is not connected? 
that when we see the attributes, the prayer is that the Holy Spirit stirs something and we'll feel a passion for God because whatever you're passionate about in life gets the best of you. And where this leads to is whatever you're passionate about, you'll surrender to. And so when you see the truth about God, we'll feel a passion for God and we'll act and surrender to God. This is how we walk through a dynamic relationship with God. And we saw how that played out in Paul's life. He went from here to here, and he had an experience with God that changed his mind, his heart, and how he walked through life. We saw this, how it played out in Jesus' life. But then in week four, we made a uh, kind of a hard turn. We made a transition and we start talking about the second part of what Jesus said. We talk about loving our neighbor as ourselves. And we're two weeks into this. And you uh, will have seen how it mirrors the, the top three. You'll see that in order to love our neighbor as ourselves, we need to see the truth about others. Life changes our vision of people. As people hurt you, as life hurts you, as you experience things, our view of people shifts. And oftentimes division comes and things separate us from other people. And I think God wants to give us new sight and new vision of people. That, that, that maybe how we viewed people has hurt us and hurt them and it needs to turn. It needs to, to change. That we need to see people as God sees them if we're going to love our neighbor as ourselves. But as we see people, as we see them as our neighbor, someone who needs us, I believe once again the Holy Spirit transforms something in us that we'll feel a compassion for them. And as I said last week, a compassion is not just a passing feeling, but it's something that is stirred in us that we suffer with those who are suffering. And it brings us to the point of saying, I want to, to do something about it. So as I said today, we're going to land the plane. This is the last week. And as we close out this concept for now, I want to remind you that we've given out the first Seafield Act book. If you missed out on that, we gave out all 550 of them, um, which is fantastic. I hope people are, are using them. But in May, we'll have our, our next one, and we'll do four of them this year. These 90-day guides of walking you through Scripture, because we need to remember that Scripture is our anchor and our guide. That transformation of our Christ-likeness does not happen outside of Scripture. It sets the pace for life. And so that's what these Seafill Act guidebooks do. And it also gives a place if you'd like to follow along in messages, and, um, and not just in this series, but in, in general. But, but um, we're moving on to today. We're moving on to the last part of this, and we've been looking at the parable um, in Luke chapter 10. We've been looking at this story that Jesus gives that gives us a picture, a picture of what it's like to love our neighbor as ourself. And so let's go to this for one last time, read it together. We're going to finish the story today, Luke chapter 10 verse 25 on one occasion an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus teacher he asked what must I do to inherit eternal life I want life I want heaven I want what you are trying to provide for us and Jesus says what's written in the law how do you read it 
Well, the man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. We've been here, right? You answer correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. Okay, Jesus, but who exactly is my neighbor? And so Jesus does what I told you he often did. He tells parables to make a point. We connect a story. We learn through story. And Jesus and how he preached and taught, he did it through story. And and I, I think that leaves lasting impact. And he said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Remember, that was about 18 miles, 17, 18 miles. Not the easiest trip ever because of uh, the dangers and you see the danger here and the man was going down and when he got attacked by robbers they stripped him of his clothes and beat him and went away leaving him half dead a priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man he passed by on the other side so to a levite when he came to the place and saw him he passed on the other side but a samaritan as he traveled and came where the man was when he saw him He took pity on him. Now, that's where we stopped last week, right? We looked at this word pity and how I said, NIV translation says pity. I like other translations better where they use the word compassion. But the story didn't end with the man just having compassion or pity on him. The story continues in verse 34. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And let's stop there. I was talking to one of our small group leaders this week, uh, Keith Canterbury. And we had a quick conversation, not a long conversation, just a quick comment. But in this short conversation, he made a comment, and it stuck through me this week, and I began to think about it. And I think it may be an important uh, possibility for this story of what's happening. We know that this is a parable, so the man in this story is not a real person, right? Jesus is telling a story to make a point. But the Samaritans are real people with real experiences. And I don't know if you know the backstory of the Samaritans. I'll give you the really quick, it's way more complicated than this, but I'll give you the really quick backstory of the Samaritans. The Jewish people did not associate with the Samaritans because the decisions that were made way prior to Jesus ever entering the scene. The Samaritans were uh, basically a hybrid of cultures. They were Jewish people that had intermarried with non-Jewish people. Now for Jews and the Jewish text, this was seen as this is not acceptable. Now, the reason it wasn't acceptable is because they were warned that when you marry non-Jewish people, they bring their baggage with them in the sense of they bring what they worship with them. There are other gods, potentially, that they worship that are not the Jewish God. And so what happens is, potentially, if a Jewish person marries a non-Jewish person, the purity of their religion, the purity of their beliefs would be diminished. But the Samaritans had done this years ago. The Samaritans had done this over and over and over again. As I said, many, many hundreds of years before 
Jesus ever entered the scene. So what happened is, now the Jewish people treated the Samaritans horribly. The Jewish people would not talk to, they would not touch, they would not acknowledge the Samaritans. Now this is, as I said, a very simple version of kind of why there's a, 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 this, this, this rift between the Samaritans and Amphrit, but this is why I tell you this. As we read this story and experience it through what the Samaritans did, I wonder if the reason that the Samaritan and Jesus using him as example did this is because he had received the same treatment on this road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Maybe that happened. Or two, what if he understood what it's like to feel beaten and abused, taken advantage of, hurt? He would have known this and, and seized this man on the side of the road. And you know how this works in life. Jesus would have known how this worked in life. That when someone experiences what you experience, it's much easier to sympathize with them. When someone goes through what you have gone through, you can see them in a way that other people can't see, which brings us back to why we need to see the truth about others, that everybody goes through stuff. Everybody has hurts. Everybody has pains. And I wonder if even using the Samaritan as the person in the stories, that one angle would be is because they would have experienced this abuse. But for whatever reason... Jesus uses the Samaritans, the person who stops in that moment and does what needs to be done. In this moment, he served the man just like he would want to be served. He loved his neighbor the way that he would want to be loved. He bandaged him up. He took him somewhere. He made sure he'd be nursed back to health again and would pay for the cost from himself to make this happen. And Jesus ends the parable right there. And he puts this story in the lap of the expert in the law. And he says, this is how life should be lived. If you're going to ask me the question, how to inherit eternal life, and then you're going to ask me who my neighbor is, this is how you need to live. You want an out? You want an out of who I have to treat as my neighbor and not, I'm not going to give it to you. What I'm going to give you is if you want to follow me, you need to love your neighbor, which looks like, once again, this is my interpretation, to love your neighbor. You need to, once again, see the truth about others, feel compassion for others. And then the third thing is we need to act in service to others and this is where the conversation ends if we're going to be like Jesus we have to see people as he saw them and my hope is that the Holy Spirit moves in us. The Holy Spirit transforms something in us that we will then feel compassion for people. But where it leads us is then we will act in service. We will serve people around us the way Jesus did. I want to go back again to week three. Week three, the conversation we had is if in our relationship with God, where it needs to get to is we need to act 
in surrender to God. I, I went over this, right? You remember this. The third week was where our relationship needs to land with God is that we need to act in surrender to Him. And we understood this concept because we've seen Jesus do this. We know the story of Jesus, that He goes to the cross, He dies on the cross, He gives Himself to the point of death, and we know the response to that is, well, then I need to die to myself. But I'm going to act like Jesus acted, that I'm going to die to myself, and life is found on the other side of death. So we talk about that, and I don't think there's much argument. Like, you're not going to push back on me on that one, right? Well, act in service works the exact same way. When we are serving others, what we're doing is we are giving ourselves away for the moment of we're putting someone in front of us. To serve someone, we need to be able to say in that moment, you are more important to me at this time. In the next couple of weeks, and Bill announced it today, that we have, a, we have an event called Love Week. And, and we have a lot of new people this year. And I'm going to encourage you, find your spot in Love Week with everybody else. Because what we're doing is, the week before Easter, we're intentionally going out into the community, and we're serving our community. Now, if you're part of One Hope, you know this is part of our DNA anyways. We don't just serve in this week. We are serving all year long. You are a generous people with your time, your energy, your money. We believe that our church is not just about what happens in this moment, but that we leave every week to go out into our community. But the week before Easter, we are intentionally going out, and we're serving our community as we prepare to experience and embrace everything that Jesus did for us. giving ourselves away and we're doing this because we understand one simple concept and it's a concept that this won't be the first time I say to you but I need to remind you is that we are never more like Jesus than when we are serving others we are never more like Jesus when we are giving ourselves away to others if we want to get to the place we need to get to in our relationship with others, it lands where we serve people the way Jesus has called us to. This is what the Holy Spirit needs to be transforming in us in regards to our relationship with other people. And over and over, we see Jesus living this out. And one of my favorite moments in his life, I see Jesus doing this. It's coming to the end of Jesus' life. He knows it. His disciples don't know it. But they're sitting up in a room together and Jesus is teaching. And all of a sudden, the conversation changes. And John tells us what happens in John 13. It says it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. 
The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal and he took off his outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. After drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him, he, called, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you'll have no part of me. Just like us. The disciples struggled to understand the life that Jesus had called them to. He had spent almost three years with them at this point, and they're still struggling to figure out the, the complexities of the life that Jesus has called them to. They were human like us. They had goals like us. They had filters for life just like us and peter was resistant of jesus doing this to him he, not my rabbi because this isn't how people on top act people below that's who serves not people on top no you don't wash my feet but Jesus, you see his response. I imagine the moment is very clear. He's looking at Peter in the eyes. This is not one where he's wandering around. It's not one where he's casual with his words. I'm picturing he looks at Peter and he says, If you want me, you have to let me do this for you. Because Jesus had to let Peter and the other disciples experience this moment because Jesus was changing culture. And so Jesus washes his feet. And then John tells us what he says. Verse 12, he says, When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. And he looks around the room. He speaks to the ones that are closest to him. These are his closest friends. These are the ones that are supposed to carry on the movement after Jesus is gone. They're going to have to carry on the characteristics and the habits and the life that Jesus showed them. They're the ones that are going to have to do it, so they've got to get this point. He said, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher. You call me Lord, and rightly so, for that is who I am. That is what I am in your life. I am your teacher. I am your Lord. View me this way. If you view me this way, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set for you an example that you should do as I've done for you. 
Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Jesus was changing culture. Jesus was calling on people to live differently. I've said throughout this series that an expectation, I would call it a demand from Jesus, is that when we transition from following ourselves, following this world, and we say, I'm a follower of Jesus, we will live differently. If we're not living differently, we're still following someone other than Jesus. Jesus is calling them to live differently. He says, serving others. It has to be an intentional thing that we decide we're going to do. And when we decide to give ourselves away to another person, whether that's our time, our finances, something physical, when we do it, Jesus says, this is when you'll be blessed. I share often my stories of when I go to Israel and experiences there, and I hope one day to be able to take, I'd love to take each and every one of you. This past trip in November, um, I always go with a thought in my mind of something that I want to buy. And this year was no different. That I know that I wanted to buy something like this. Wooden creation. I knew that going there, um, I didn't know exactly what it was going to look like, but I knew that I wanted to buy something like this. Because I had thoughts in my mind. God had been speaking to me personally about things, and, and if you're around here enough, you know that I'm a visual type person. And I haven't been cautious, or I haven't been... Um, anything but blunt to you about that when I, that I mean what I say that I want to every day become a little more like Jesus and I don't want to become a little more like Jesus because I'm your pastor this is not my motivation I want to every day become a little more like Jesus because I am bought into that this is the best life to live. That I am sold on the idea that I have limited amount of time on this earth and I know the person I want to become and I don't get there in one day, but I make daily decisions. And so I knew what I wanted to get to help reinforce this and so I walk into one of the stores. And when I did, I, I saw this. And the moment I saw it, I just was like, you know what? This is it. I want to put this in my office. I want to put it in a place that sits in front of me that I can't get it out of my visual reminder every day. And as I see this, I'm reminded every day, Scott, don't forget. You are called to serve your family. I have a wife. I have two kids. And my calling in life, as I try to emulate who Jesus is, is to serve 
my family in the way Jesus has served me and the people that he was closest to. That my wife needs a husband that says, I want to put you before myself. I want to serve you. Not to the point of being taken advantage and not caring about myself at all. We're not going to extremes, but I want to serve my wife. I want to serve my kids. And some mentalities are, well, my kids are below me. Someday they may be on my level as an adult, but they're below me. In this story, Jesus is making it very clear. To lead is to serve. Even if in culture it feels they're below you. This sits in my office, so I remind that I've got a church and I've got a staff that I'm called to serve. That this is not about me I'm not in a lead role to, to be above. I'm in a lead role to serve and to elevate other people. I need this in front of me. You know why? Because this can fight against me every day. Because no matter what position you're in, you always want to have a feeling of importance. And we need to push this down to say, I'm leading through service. I want to, this to sit in front of me because I need to be reminded to serve my friends in my life, that I give myself away to those that are close to me, to remind me that I need to serve this community that's around me, that I need to be reminded that I need to give myself away to that person that I've never met before but are put in my lap because there's opportunities every day to be reminded that I need to love my neighbor as myself and how I do that is I serve those around me no matter the context no matter the person that I serve because this is what I see in Jesus this is the better way to live and I'm convinced at the end of my life I will not look back and regret how much I gave myself away to other people I'm convinced of this we need to act in service to others the way Jesus did. We come to conclusion of this series. Come to conclusion in this concept that I told you that five years ago, God began stirring in me of that we need to live out this greatest command of loving God and loving our neighbor. And we, we're where we land today is how we fulfill the calling in our lives and loving our neighbors to act in service. But the question is, pretty simple today, is do people see Jesus in you because of how you grab a towel and die to yourself so you can serve them? Do people see Jesus in you because you reach down you grab the towel you die to yourself in that moment and you put them in front of you do people see you because you'll do whatever it takes that they see the Christ likeness that the Holy Spirit is growing in you it's like I said last week are you allowing are you asking the Holy Spirit to do a work in you that you can't do yourself I was very honest last week of my selfish, broken tendencies. That's why the Holy Spirit is working. 
If you want to be this person, then this is what I recommend is you wake up in the morning, maybe for the rest of this week, and you say this simple prayer, God, help me. God, help me to always be willing and available to serve my neighbor who needs me. Who needs me in their lives just like Jesus did. Just like Jesus did for me. God, help me be willing and available to serve my neighbor who needs me in their lives just like I needed Jesus for me. If we want to do this, we need to pursue it because you are not going to wake up in the morning and want to do this. This is not going to be your first response. How do I put myself below people? How do I put myself in a place of serving people? How do I put myself in a place of elevating others? We're not going to do it as spouses. We're not going to do it as parents. We're not going to do it as friends. We're not going to do it just as people people in this church we're not going to do it to the random person unless we say god transform this in me because once again every day i'm just trying to live the way you live jesus grabs the towel so i want to grab the towel i want to see feel and act like jesus did in loving my neighbor as myself my prayer is this is the church that we are becoming my prayer is that not only our relationship with God is growing, but our relationship with other people is growing and maturing. And that at any moment in your life, someone goes, man, there is something really different about you. Can we have a conversation? So Heavenly Father, will you do this work in us? Thank you for sending Jesus to give us a picture of this because, honestly, we wouldn't have figured this out for ourselves. But God, transform us into the people you'd have us become. And God, I believe that when our ambition is to become like Jesus, our whole world changes. So God, if we're struggling to give ourselves away and looking to serve more than be served, God, will you do a work in us? That, God, there's a world around us that needs us to be available to grab a towel and wash some feet. So, God, help us to do that. As we worship today, as we declare this, if you need to stir something in us, may we be people who listen to that stirring and leave today with a perspective that we need to have, that you want to use us in a way you've never used us before. It's your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from One Hope Church. If you would like to hear more, check out our website at ouronehope.com for message archives, service times, and more information on how you can get connected. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.